Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Hello and welcome aboard the Outer Sanctum. This is your captains for the day speaking, Tess Armstrong here. We're presently flying somewhere between round six, seven, eight of the AFLW season. <laughs> Who could possibly keep track? As one former AFLM coach would say, strap yourselves in. We're headed towards the pointy end of the season and it's going to be an unpredictable ride. It would be a pretty lonely flight without my co-pilots and pod sisters. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, this is Rana, your co-captain speaking. Uh, the exits are on the left. <laughs> Stow your tables and off we go. Uh, Nicole Hayes here. It was wrong, right? But I was actually so jealous of seeing all these teams flying in and out of different states. I'm like, oh, yeah, people can go on planes now. It's just I'm a changed woman. The season's getting down to business now. We're seeing the season-long leaders of the pack still in excellent touch, but North and the Dogs, they're coming on strong, and the Blues heard the critics and went, hold our sports drinks. We want to be back on the winner's list. Congratulations from us to Ebony Marinoff, the first AFLW player to reach a 1,000 disposals, a chiliad of disposals, we'll call that, you know, guys on like the numbers person obviously <laughs> he got numbers so I looked up the Roman numeral for a thousand and it's M for Marinoff oh my gosh the water misdirect I was about to throw something <laughs> when you said M there's no no M's please in the house well, yeah the M for Marinoff uh, which is the only M that matters to us Rana of the weekend of footy it's been there's a lot going on and it's still ongoing full disclosure we're recording on a Monday and there is an absolute cracker between the Lions and the Ds ahead of us. But what stood out to you? I don't know if it's just me and it could well be because I'm very tired. But this season has been so long. I don't know if anybody else. And it's not. It's not a long season. I would love a longer AFLW season. But right now, it feels like it's been going on for about 10 years. But I was happy to see Olivia Purcell back after a year since she did her ACL. And it's just one of those returns that uh, you love to see, especially given we have had so many players go down with injuries. It's really nice to remember that they can come back too from injury. So shout out to Olivia Purcell for me. Nick, what stood out to you? I mean, obviously a couple of those lopsided games stood out, but one of them in particular, I will profess to a favourite here, but Brisbane's demolishing of Gold Coast. Gold Coast fans, you might want to cover your ears. 69 <laughs> points. It's their best score. It wasn't the highest. They need another couple of points to get there, but it was a, 
an actual masterclass in attacking football. The spread of the contributions by players across that Brisbane side was ferocious. I mean, everybody had played a role, but there were actually nine separate goal kickers. Leading off with probably one of my favourite commentary moments for this year so far, the first goal was out the back doors. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think they meant it, but it sounded great. But um, so that was the first goal and it just got better from there. Um, Just an onslaught from at that point. But Taylor Smith ended up with three. Shout out to my personal favourite, Courtney Hodder, who ended up with two goals too and did win the Q medal with 17 disposals, four tackles um, and, yeah, the, the two goals too. But actually the stuff that was really impressing me was seeing her just go hard at the ball even when, mm-hmm. you know, those second and third attempts – Anytime it came down forward, she was right in the in the thick of it. And whether she actually got to the ball or she handed it on to somebody else, just her work rate was staggering. I just think that she's such an exciting player in the highlights reel, but also that quiet stuff. That's what I love. Yes, I'm so glad you said that because so often Courtney Hodder gets applauded for the special moments but she works so hard in between those special moments and they're just like the cherry on top I'm so glad you said that Nick yeah sure I mean she's 21 wait look what's to come that's what I just turned today 21 (laughs) happy birthday Rana 21 (laughs) many years ahead for us that's good you still got a chance to play AFLW that's what I'm hearing it's likely to happen Tess too Have you heard that? Run a call. I laugh because Craig Starsevich said it was a dream match. You know how coaches are always tiptoeing around. They don't want to say it was too good, lest they don't inspire their team for the next week. And he just came out and said, yeah, that was an absolute dream. And I thought, you lot won the premiership last year. But anyway, fine. The mid-season <laughs> game. That's, the that's such a good yeah. point. I don't even care. I'm going to be totally predictable. My highlight was my tags. Big shout out to my friend Bert, who acted as my proxy in the outer in WA. He's actually a Pies fan, so it must have been just, it felt. It must have felt so wrong for him. Oh. But as the team was running out, he sent me a video. He was all there, go on Tigers, get it, get stuck in. You know, it was fantastic. He gave me condition reports on the ground temperatures, in the outer temperatures, and I felt like I was really there and I really wasn't. And we often talk about how footy is a mirror of our lives. And on the weekend, we saw a wonderful family reunion with Tiger Akesh Makurchut kicking her first AFLW goal in front of the, her Western Australian family that she had not seen for two years. And her celebration was so, was just pure glee. You could hear her family cheering on the tally in the background. And she was waving to her family after the goal. And I was happy crying on the couch. And she tweeted after the game that it was just such a special day mm. to play in front of her family. And she said, oh, I wanted to kick a goal for my sister who always wanted me to play in the forward line and then she said man it ain't easy doing this career alone in Melbourne but their support from afar makes it all worth it so such a beautiful sentiment and a big shout out to anyone listening who feels like they might be doing it alone separated from their people at the moment this one was for you and the win was awesome I know this isn't a Tigers pod but style kicking the opening two and Ali McKenzie back in good form so good you almost think we were going to make the finals. And my proxy in the crowd told me it was 40 degrees when he left the house <sighs> to get the game. Like absolutely stinking hot conditions to be playing football in. And I think that makes our win. But also West Coast were so competitive and they really gave us a run at the end. And I think that makes it probably more special. Uh, and it got our friend of the pod, Melanie Ray, tweeting about the conditions, right? She sent a photo of two Eagles mascots in their full gear. And she posited the question, of course, do they have heat protocols for mascots? 
And there were some replies from people from, you know, previous mascots, of course, they all get on, saying they used to have a 30 minutes on, 30 minutes off. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. I can confirm that. I used to manage the mascots at Richmond. I used to have to walk around with them. And you do, they do get 30 minutes on and 30 minutes off. And it is gross inside those suits. they need so if anyone listened to the fifth quarter from last week Libby Birch talked about the joint CBA the mascots have got to get in on that right they need to demand some stuff like yes ice bath on the side or mini fans inside the head or something <laughs> some kind of new technology and if we're going to keep playing summer footy totally I think this was my favorite piece of journalism from the week from Mel this was this is honestly the conversation we need to have and I do have to say that at least at Richmond the mascot artists are circus artists who take it very very seriously and they will not and like there's no shade of irony in this I genuinely am in awe of them they will not ever take their you know reveal themselves to uphold the charade of the mascot they hold to that no matter the temperature no matter where they are they will not ever reveal what's inside that suit and I think that's dedication they're the real heroes of the game. That's like a modern mascot thing, isn't it? They didn't used to be no. They used to be just like <laughs> down the road. Didn't it? My brother was a mascot at one <laughs> stage when we were little. He was like eight and he had to be the can at Cadinia Park because there was like a, a recycling <laughs> sponsorship or something like that and we were involved in the club. So he had to be the can and you can see this massive giant man-sized can with these two little stick child legs. <laughs> Running around Cadinia Park. Are we seeing the corporatisation of the mascot in football? Is that what we're saying maybe? And good for them. You know, here in the Outer Sanctum, we don't shy away from the big issues, right? And we absolutely cannot go on without mentioning the biggest footy story, I think, of the year, maybe the decade. And that's the absolutely devastating and shocking loss of the red rooster chips from the (laughs) Put your potatoes out tonight in honour of the... Potatoes or roosters? Oh, put your roosters out. Well, if you have roosters, put them out. Well, they probably need to go out every now and then anyway, I would think. <laughs> roosters on the loose is a complicated consequence of this podcast that I didn't see coming. Now, <laughs> you've missed this story because you're not an insane Victorian footy fan like us. Guy Grossi, who's a celebrity chef, is going to set up shop at the MCG next year. Now, this was reported as though... He was going to replace every single hot chip and Coke with wild boar ragu and a red wine or a Sangiovese. Like it was very controversial last night. People were going, I want to have ragu instead of my chips, but that's not what's happening. Um, you'll all be shocked to know he's only going to be catering to posh people in the committee room for mm. MCC members only. So you will probably still have access to normal people food. I know that the crust pizzas and red rooster chips are going. I think they've mm. already gone, which was the funniest talk back today. People were writing in anonymously to say that the Red Roosters were already gone from the MCG. So I don't know if that's even true, but things have gone. Nature is healing if this is the stuff that we're cross about. I think the Red Roosters only being replaced by other different types of fried chicken. So you're probably still going to be fine if that's what you're going to the football for. But it did get me thinking. One of the podcasts I love is called Off Menu and it's comedians and they interview other comedians and actors and things like that about their dream menu, very simple. It's You just get to pick a dessert, a main, <laughs> an entree, a starter and a drink and then people just tell stories about food and drink, which to me, delightful content. And so I thought we should play footy off menu oh. and what's the dream footy menu, entree, main, dessert and drink. 
I'll go first because mine is the most basic person from the country footy fair you'll ever think of. One time I went along to the footy in Ballarat and I got a polystyrene cup of tomato can soup and it was so delicious. I think it was the con I think it was the context of being in the polystyrene. So I'm gonna say that's my entree, that canned tomato soup in a cup. Veggie sausage rolls for a main, which I still think probably will not be available at the MCG, despite having a posh chef involved. There'll still be no vegetarian <laughs> option. Scones with jam and cream for dessert. Oh, that's all I'm looking Amazing. for at the city, any day, anywhere. And Yorkshire super strong tea for my for my drink with a skerrick of milk, just a dash. I don't need any more. So that would have me at the footy every single weekend. Nicole, what's your dream footy menu? I am so ready to say goodbye to dried out hot pies and soggy chips and, and that stupid post-mix soft drink that they sell. Mm. Anyway, so I thought about this way too long and hard, I have to say. And, <laughs> you know, footy to me... It still has the nostalgia ring and even though this wouldn't belong in a football ground ordinarily, it's absolutely part of the 70s for me and an old favourite. And I also think it's good because it's finger food. So I went for the volevant <laughs> in your little pastry with your seafood and you like no, but you can eat it. It's it's kind of like a pie. So you're still going to end yeah. up with crumbs yeah. on your front. Yeah. And they can sell it easily. It just, it reminds me of childhood. It's a safe food. And I mm. feel like we should bring them back anyway, right? Because they're just really delicious. So that's my entree. I just went the Thai Penang curry because like we're allowed in this world, we're allowed to have a bowl, aren't we? And, you know, yes. it would be a wooden so. spoon. I'd, I'd go with the like the re- recyclable spoon, but that's totally a fave for me. Back on the nostalgia thing, my dessert, look, I, I thought a lot about this. I did want to go with something a bit fancy, but then I thought poly waffle. <laughs> What's big... a poly waffle? Oh, oh, Rana. Really? Have I just so, added myself? It's been very young, 21. <laughs> 21. I, again, 10, 21 today. It was a big controversy. It was pre-pandemic story. You might have missed it. But Polly Waffles got the run. Their run was done. It was over for the Polly Waffle and it was quite controversial at the time. What so was they've the flavour? Marshmallow in the middle. They, they look, they look oh, unfortunately, a lot like very a log of poop. There's no question about that. But they're a chocolate <laughs> bar and they've got like lumps on them. And so they sort of look like a Snickers. But what's great about them is there are no nuts to be found. I am not a fan of nuts in chocolate. And they have like wafer in the middle with marshmallow i'm not selling this very well i've just realized no i just realized you're talking about the big lebowski scene with the poly waffle in the swimming pool and everyone evacuates because i think it's something else dakota brown isn't poly waffle that makes sense (laughs) um and i'm just going to round the whole thing off with diet coke in a can can i just repeat that in a can it does not belong in post mix it tastes like actual battery acid so that's it and and really I don't think that's a lot to ask I, I don't think so either also postmix I know you're saying it but postmix is so nostalgic to me I kind of rather it like you know the coke you get from Macca's which I know is postmix that is better to me than a normal can of coke and that I know makes me a disgrace a national disgrace Rana green menu <laughs> Look, I would enjoy both of your menus, to be honest, um, and I love the idea of a scone. That's that's really wet my whistle. But I think for me, I'm going to be very on brand, and because AFLM at least is a winter sport, I'm going to go with an entree of chips because I can't. I have to have a hot chip at 
the sport, <laughs> any sport, I have to have it. And then I'm going to um, move into some kind of lamb curry as well. And this is just for me and my roots. And it's a nice winter winter dish, really, like a casserole almost, but I, I'd want it to be spicy, like a Rogan Josh, although I we don't call it that at home. We just call it horma. So a curry and rice. And then I'm going to, is everything okay? No, I'm just oh, learning just making... about Hornma oh, because mm-hmm. now I feel like, so if I went in, so you call Rogan Josh, that's not a thing. Is that what you're saying to me? Not where I come from. It could be, but we do not do not call it that ever. This is like good it's inside just... info for the next time I order. I can try and sound like a real smart out. I've got the inside word. Also, hot tip, um, naan bread is just the same as saying bread bread because naan <laughs> is bread. <laughs> okay Just bread bread for me thank you <laughs> but really look any curry and rice and then like a nice it's not really a dessert but a hot chai uh would do it for me I I love tea we actually whenever we go to the cricket or the footy we pack a thermos of chai and it does the trick so that'd be my menu probably not gonna be that popular with anyone else but it works for me can I just my little cultural tip latte is milk that's all it is. It's not actually coffee, but we've decided it's kaffa latte. It's actually what it's called. Of course. But because we're Australians, we can't do two words. And when there's only one, <laughs> you can skip to one. So if you're ordering a latte, unless it's Rogan Josh, <laughs> it's Rogan Josh, correct? I have never felt like I'm learning more, and also um, like such a bogan in that I offered up polystyrene cup of canned soup and postman coke. So. I'm feeling starving after that chat, so we better get a wriggle on, roll up our controversial new North Melbourne long sleeve jumper and Malay maybe. Let's do it. There was an extraordinary piece written by Kate O'Halloran for the ABC in which Bulldogs Premiership player Kirsten McLeod spoke about her experience with the concussion, including a really scary story about losing her vision at one stage driving across Victoria and also exploring not wanting to tell anyone about it for many reasons. Nicole, you've been across this issue for a long time. What did you make of this? I mean, there's a lot that she said that she she was brave coming forward with it because we've had several players admit to having, you know, fudged their results or faked that they're okay when they're not. And it's still, I think it's still pretty fraught area and, and the pressure, particularly on the women players, is extra high because missing a couple of games is a big deal in a 10 game season, you know. And so the pressure to do that is a little bit higher. But what was really interesting, I think, is some of the research that's coming out does suggest that there are differences between genders. Some of them that is about the self-reporting and some of it is potentially about just either how we play the game or what our preparation is. I think the most interesting thing to come out of this article, apart from Kirsten's dedication to educating other players and, and spreading the word, which I think coming from a player, coming from you know a premiership player and a peer, I think just has such a, a powerful impact and I think it has a greater influence on changing behaviour in what is really, let's be honest, is quite a dangerous thing to do is to, to um, feign that you're okay when you're actually dealing with a head injury. But what was really interesting is something that we've heard before, but how much of the data has been based on the male brain and male injuries and male responses. So many of the protocols that have been applied to the women's game actually come from men's games. And so 
for us to get a real understanding of the differences between how concussion affects gender, we have to look at like like and like. So we have to look at the responses for players when they have the same rules. We have to look at when they um, have the same conditions, the same preparation, and also are given the same opportunities when it comes to management of concussion at games. So, for example, for the AFLM, there are a lot of cameras around. There are extra people observing players because, as we've noted, players aren't always the first to kind of volunteer that they've been injured or that they're concerned about any symptoms they might be having. And so often it's up to somebody else to identify it and to, to force the player even to take a step aside to do the, go through the protocols. In the women's game, there aren't as many cameras. There aren't as many observers. The AFL has said that they do have Hawkeye for the women's game and they do have an actual independent doctor that the AFL appoints to the match. But when we think about the stadiums and just the size of the grounds and the fact that visibility is not as good there's no you know often there's no stadium so you can't even get that perspective or you can't be as broad in your observations I imagine that there'll be a lot more injuries that are missed in the women's game than there are for the men's so there's obviously a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of the data and the research but also we have to start looking at having protocols that are specifically designed for women to ensure that some of those discrepancies which indicate women suffer for longer take longer to recover have a greater impact impact often cite different uh, symptoms that we can actually be clear about what's going on there and what those differences are about. Props to Kirsten for being brave enough to own up to what's happened to her and all the best to her for you know a recovery which is from a condition that can last a very long time. She's out for 12 months that's what the um, urologist has recommended. So, you know, I hope that she's able to rest and recover and, and we get to see her back again on the on the ground soon. I have a question for you both. Emma Race once said that uh, she does have to think about this in terms of her daughters playing footy. I'm just thinking as well, as parents, do you think about this? If Tess, if Patty goes into footy, will you be thinking about concussion or is that kind of like down the track? How do you think about it as a parent? Yeah. I think, well, I've been a parent for about one second compared to the two of you and probably everybody listening, but he's just started to crawl and trying to learn to walk. And he goes like a rocket into straight into stuff, head first into everything in the room. And I get so nervous about that. And then I thought, oh, I've always assumed that I'd be like a stage mum, but with football, right? That any kid I had, I'd be like, right, you're playing Oz kick, off you go. Because it's just always been in me. I've always been in football. uh, I've never questioned the fact that the kids would play. And now I'm starting to worry about it but I also am still in that mindset that I think heaps of people listening are in it where I'm in a bit of denial it's so big I don't understand how to protect him from doing that also sport plays such an extraordinary role in so many areas of health so it's so incredibly good to be involved with team sport it's so good for you physically to be involved with sport if we put things in place whether he wears a helmet I know Caleb Daniels mum was a big advocate for the helmet early days maybe we do that but I'm still completely torn because I look at this little person and I think my job is actually to protect you um but also I want you to play footy and I want footy to have a future (laughs) Right. And for us to still think that that's a viable game that we want our kids to play because it's brought us so much joy and I'm still torn. I wonder if the AFL are thinking about it in terms of parents. So, Mm. you know, we will have that conversation with if we've got little kids, okay, how many head knocks is too many for us? And will the AFL think about that then when they market, say, Auskick and including now this conversation in the materials around that? I suffer for having spent a lot of time reading about this. And I can honestly say to you that I am so glad my 
kids didn't play contact sports when they were younger. Here I am on a football podcast and I'm advocating (laughs) sport for girls and women, mostly because when they were playing, we did not have this knowledge and we weren't taking it as seriously. Kids starting now have a much better chance of minimizing head impact at all. I mean, because of potential litigation and and long-term real cost issues associated with it in terms of impact on players and impact on organizations, sporting organizations. People are taking it really seriously when for a very long time it was being ignored or even suppressed. We've seen that in the past from the NFL, for example. For me, I'm I'm glad because my kids are, would not have benefited from all of that knowledge had they played those games. I have had gone through um, dementia with both of my parents and I know that CTE presents very much like dementia and so there is that potential for it being a hereditary issue anyway but the idea of that being something brought on by them having fun playing sport terrifies me and I'm just really grateful that sporting organizations parents medical practitioners are actively and very conscientiously trying to address this issue because I think it's the biggest issue facing sport today because it doesn't even have to be contact sport yeah And that's what concerns me the most. You don't have to hit your head. You don't have to be concussed. You can just be in an impact of, you know, nipple. It can happen in soccer. It can happen from a header. It's an issue for every single sport, I think, and possibly the biggest one to face them apart from maybe gambling. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm Trent Cooper, and you're listening to my equal favorite podcast, The Outer Sanctum. Now, if you're headed onto The Guardian's website this week, you'll see our very own Nicole Hayes has written about the conversation about disparity of teams. And we saw it again on the weekend, big differences between a lot of the teams at, at this point in the season. And whether or not the season will be asterisked, is that a word? I'm looking at you, Early Runnels, uh, from Freo. She'll be able to tell me. Rana, I might start with you and come back to Nicole's article in a moment, but is the apparent disparity between the teams an issue for you at the moment? It is an issue for me, although not a surprise. This was always going to happen, I think, as we brought in new teams and now we've got another four teams coming through. You know, I remember back to when we were talking about should there be four more teams to come in and expansion and all of that. And we did say at that time, one of the arguments at that time was that we just have to be ready for the fact it will take time for those teams to catch up. And that's what we're doing now. We're seeing that in play at the moment. So while it's annoying to watch and from a product point of view, it's not great with my business hat on, uh, I do think that it's fine and, and we just have to kind of accept it. There's a part of me that's resigned to it. and I'm okay with it it does just mean that there are games where you think okay this isn't as interesting as it could be having said that I do think it's very interesting to look at teams when they are on the up or when they do have a lot of work to do and see how things change and the things that they are doing I still think that that's quite interesting to watch and so we do get interesting matchups every now and then from bottom sides and seeing how they go against each other so for me it's it is an issue and I you know I love a 
a competition, but I think it's fine for the moment. Am I allowed to say that? I think so. Nick, you're the boss. You write the article. Is Runner allowed to say that? <laughs> Look, I think there are challenges with it. I think what's particularly concerning is that it is about those expansion teams as much as anything else, that they're clearly not benefiting from having the, all those games under their belt. It's going to keep coming back to the same thing. Longer season and professional players. As soon as we get to that point, a lot of these discrepancies and these imbalances will be addressed. But you can't, you know, expecting we still have a country that is largely divided into AFL or NRL territory. And so if you've got teams in NRL states, there is always going to be a challenge about most likely bringing them from another state. When you're doing that and they're part-time and they're giving up jobs or family or, you know, study in order to do that for, what is it, three to five months, it depends on on who you are, full-time commitment with a part-time salary, it's not going to change. And we've got four more teams joining at the end of the year, which I'm very excited about, but a little bit concerned for the same reason. We saw the shift in the last expansion, you know, a lot of players were poached and destabilizing of what were quite successful clubs happening. And I know there's a period of adjustment, but given the constant pressure for them to perform, to continue to provide a spectacle worthy of being paid properly, that will draw fans, it's almost self-perpetuating in some way. So I am concerned about that, but I am also mm-hmm aware that this time we have got a much wider pool of development players coming through. The pathways have been more consistent, have been established for some years. So I'm hopeful that with the VFL system more directly feeding into the AFLW that we might be better placed this time for the expansion than we were the last time. Speaking of four new teams, I do want to point to Essendon's VFLW side because my goodness, they are scary. They have won their first two games, the two games that they've played so far, by so many points. I can't even do the maths. In the first game, <laughs> oh, it's it's my mind has boggled looking at these numbers. The first game, 98 to 0 against Western Bulldogs and the second, 79 to 16 against Port Melbourne. Are they going to just hit the ground running? I chatted with uh, Marnie Vanal, broadcaster and journo, an absolute Essendon full fan. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> She's a full fan. And we were talking about their VFLW side and I, I did ask her what she thought is going on there. One thing she suggested was that Essendon have really put a lot of money into their infrastructure, which means their uh, footy environment for the women. And so this t- VFLW side are really benefiting from having the right environment and investment into their structures. So I wonder if we're seeing that but it's weird to me because Hawthorne have come out so loud and proud for their VFLW and almost AFLW side so have Sydney we've heard so much from the other teams but Essendon seem very quiet to me I don't know what's going on there they're letting their city do the talking I think they'd say in the biz they don't feel the need to be all chat, chat, chat publicly about that. And if I was coming into the competition, I'd probably do that, right? I'd be sitting and I'd be watching and I'd be hearing all these debates about where the league's at, what's, what are the issues with the other teams, and then I'd be quietly trying to fix that at my own club. The results on the field certainly certainly show that they're doing that. They're doing something right. They're just not telling us about it. Also, maybe it's so we don't steal their ideas before <laughs> they come into the <laughs> With the butt See, it's like the death star over there. What are they doing? 
the clubs are also trying to generate interest and like foundation membership and all the rest of it. So being quiet might not serve that purpose. But um, also Hawthorne's awesome and I can't wait. So shush. Also, Essendon have a bazillion fans. I don't reckon they need it. They don't even need to have a chat. They've got a billion members. They'll be fine. I, I loved your article, Nick, and I got so cross last week actually. I was glad they talked about it on the podcast about the idea that we would just redraft the entire AFLW. In the M, for example, sorry for our Carlton fans, but Carlton have been almost nowhere in the competition for a very long time. Essendon haven't won a final however many days. Check the Twitter account. There are always disparities in the league. There's never going to be every team is even and all clubs are at different stages for just such a variety of reasons. We would never say at the start of the M season, okay, so Carlton and the Suns are really struggling, so we think we should redraft the entire AFL and Dusty could just play for a different team. It would just... It goes to just the sanctity of the competition. That is not the issue. There are several other issues. And I also am hesitant to say foundation teams are this and expansion teams are that because if we look at in the W, Carlton, Collingwood, GWS, they're all foundation teams, they're all struggling. Gemma Bastiani pointed out that on the weekend, the Pies, it was the second time this year they failed to take a mark inside 50 and the third time that they've had 20 or fewer inside 50s all up. That's not looking great for them and it's the team they were playing, North Melbourne, an expansion team who are in extremely good form and kind of have been since they started. Part of that might be to do with that they had the muggers, right? They had this established Mm. background heap of players who wanted to come and play for them but maybe there were other things as well going on at North Melbourne in their setup so if I was one of the four new teams I'd be looking at what North Melbourne did when they entered the competition late and thinking I want to do that. We can't forget though that North Melbourne did go out and recruit and poach a whole bunch of star players so they'd certainly hit the ground running because they got everybody else's amazing players and had a really awesome system from what you know, we could tell from the outside for women and they had a culture that seemed to sing from the rooftops that we're here for the women. So I do wonder what part that played in all of it for them. Well, and also lucky Sydney, right, because Sydney have got North Melbourne's former head coach, Scott Gowan. So if they're going to go down that path again, JWS, cling on tight to those players and don't let them scoot across the road. Um, We should in the next couple of months talk to the people heading up those new teams because I'd be quite interested to find out what lessons they are learning. But Four new teams means a lot of player movement's probably going to be ahead of us, right? And that will be awkward for us. I know we've spoken in the past about the concept of loyalty in AFLW. It's different than the Mm. men. A lot more reasons and nuance and why players are moving about. But this conversation of loyalty came up over the weekend and it's interesting you talked about North Melbourne poaching players, Rana, because Collingwood's Chloe Malloy pointed that out before their game on the weekend and she said that they had a rivalry and that part of that, She had some spicy comments and I loved it for one sitting on the couch, but she was talking about how they, you know, they had their reasons for moving on, but that she was loyal to her club and she's a loyal person that it hurt a bit that those players had left and that was the root of their rivalry. And a few North fans got stuck into her a bit on the socials as they want to do because she didn't have a touch in the first half of the game. Like, what do you want to happen for her to get heaps of possessions? And that would be bad for North. Anyway, social media trolling is always over my head. I don't understand. But I think Chloe was could probably cop that and that she was talking to Pius fans and she was talking directly to her people. And if I was one of them, I probably would have absolutely loved hearing her passion for her club. And I'd also like to point out that this is someone who's walking the walk when it comes to being loyal to her fans and to her people. And that there was another Chloe Malloy story that I wished had have been heading up the socials as much as the loyalty comments in North Melbourne 
This tale comes from friend of the pod, Andy, a passionate Pies fan. Andy tweeted, before our Pride Guernsey was revealed, Chloe Malloy messaged me to tell me I was going to love it and insisted on buying one for me as thanks for my support over the years. After the Pride game, she spotted me in the stands and gave the trans flag a salute for me. It means the world. And to me, that story is worth 30 possessions in the first half any day of the week. That is a special <laughs> It's a special story and I would be loyal to Chloe Malou for the rest of my life regardless. It helps that she's awesome too. <laughs> like she's just golden to watch. If you love football, she's just wonderful to watch. I will say that if expansion means there are more players who will do that for fans in different regions, then bring it on. I mean, it's just so beautiful. So another weekend, another truly disappointing incident of racial vilification on social media towards a footy player and to make things even worse this time, the trolls went after children of West Coast Eagles, Liam Ryan. The Eagles have put out a statement condemning the slur and they said that these kind of posts continue to be published and that's abhorrent and frustrating and frustrating I think is sums it up. One of the hashtags they used in their statement was be part of the solution and I wanted to put it to you, Rana, particularly, but that's a very good sentiment and a call to arms and I felt their statement was really strong. But be part of the solution. I'm confused about the solution because I feel like if a person... What it, whoever they are, goes home, gets on the socials, looks at a photo of children and wants to racially vilify them, I don't understand where to even begin. Oh, look, me either, Jess. <laughs> I will say this. This is my problem with a lot of campaigns that do target social media, racism on social media, because let me say, those things should happen. We absolutely should have those campaigns and we should work towards patrolling, if you will, social media comments and being more mindful about the structures around social media as we progress, you know, in this new world where that's largely where we live our lives. But for me, they are still Band-Aid solutions to a systemic and entrenched problem that is Percentage-wise, the smaller portion of it is the individual behaviours. And actually, if we really want to see less of this, we need to grapple with the systemic and core issues. And that is that racism exists and where does that come from and why do people feel like those are things that they want to even say in the first place. So for me, you know, I really appreciate that West Coast says that they stand behind him. It's so important that institutions do. The AFL have done a power of work on racism and in talking to social media companies about, you know, legislation and how do they create policies to mitigate these moments. But again, it you know, it just comes back to the fact that we have to work against racism on so many different levels. So that's the interpersonal, but then the systemic and the structural and that's where my head starts to really kind of explode because how do you do that is that then going back into education and and people you know make up systems so I don't have an answer for you really except to say that if we take our foot off the pedal these things will continue on the flip side of that and I did just hear this on a Brené Brown podcast and I feel like every time I'm on here I do quite <laughs> Brown or one of us does but go with me they talked about uh, the fact that we are so often talking about when systems don't work for us that we rarely talk about when they do work for us and so I think the fact that we live in a world where there are mechanisms to report ways in which we can raise the issues and talk about them and that we are even having the conversation is the signs of progress but doesn't change the fact that Liam Ryan has to look at 
really vile comments about his family. Yeah, absolutely. And the people who get hurt in the process of progress is really confronting. And there are two things he said, let's talk about things that we're doing well. And there's two stories this week that I feel like canvas actions that I think will be really beneficial in this story. Firstly, Jakara Egan has been appointed the Vic Metro under 18s girls coach, and she'll be the first Indigenous person to hold that role. She's also the first Indigenous woman to coach both boys and girls in the NAB League. That goes to visibility, right? We always talk about more people of colour in positions of power, coaching, presidents, management, why not CEO of the AFL? That's the first part, visibility. And the second part, I feel like, is celebration. Shelley Ware always talks about education, celebrating culture. And Gemma Bastiani wrote a great article on the AFLW website about the Gold Coast Suns and how they had a preseason camp where the AFLW and AFLM Indigenous players held a Q&A session, right, with all the other players and the coaches. And their coach, Cameron Joyce, said it had really helped him to get a better understanding of his players but also what it meant for them to have come from the Northern Territory and their connection with their to, to their culture and their families and the club has now implemented a player award every week so voted on by the players called the Walu of the week and after each game it's based on the values that they set during the pre-season. Walu is a young new word for sun and to me that was the example of what a community organisation or workplace anywhere in the country, not footy, can do. They could have a Q&A session in, in any workplace around the country celebrating culture and language and learning things. And I feel like if the, I was a worker and I had no idea about this stuff and I went along to a Q&A session in my own organisation, I was a local firefighter, a school, local footy, whatever, I got a day of learning and celebration and it was wonderful and beautiful, maybe that would stop my thumbs, right, before I'm tweeting or Instagram commenting something, maybe, I don't know. But if they felt like to me two amazing stories this weekend that made me feel better when that story made me feel really sad. Nicole? Yeah, I do think that often, even if it's perhaps not that person who's going to do the terrible tweet, those people who might have stood quietly by who are a bit torn, they're the ones more likely to intervene, I think, and perhaps to stop those behaviours or to call out those behaviours. I think that's where we're seeing the most change. And and maybe that's the most that we can hope for is that because there will always be idiots and horrible people who do terrible things and the fewer the better, but perhaps it's about bystanders and those people who maybe didn't feel invested before feeling invested now. And this is where education is so important and why, as you say, visibility is such a big part of it. We don't want to go back over the um, Hanin Zarika's decision not to wear the Pride Guernsey in any detail here because that discussion has is ongoing and I think that there's been a lot of different takes that you know have really opened up that conversation in a meaningful way. But there was one question that came up often to the broader point, which I don't think had been addressed until Shelley, our Shelley Ware, responded in her column for the Koori Mail. I do encourage you to read her article. We will link to it in the show notes. But basically she was prompted to respond, despite not being from either group in the debate, because of the parallels being drawn to her own culture. This was the question that came up and I'm just going to quote from her article. How would I feel if a player in the AFLW or AFLM said they didn't want to wear an Indigenous round jumper? Honestly, if I played AFLW and it was a member from my team, I would be hurt, disappointed and even disconnected from them. I would certainly want to know why and I would give them a listen. As a member of the Aboriginal community and proud of my people, if a player, any player, refused to wear an Indigenous round jumper, I would be hurt and disappointed, but I would also move on. I would not let their choices have a negative and long-lasting impact on me as an individual. 
I'm a strong black proud woman and I don't need a footballer's approval to live and to be proud of my culture. I did speak to Shelley about this article because, you know, I was really affected by it. And she wanted to add that while she might not need a football player to wear that jumper, she does love it when she sees it and to see her culture celebrated with pride. Before we get out of here and go devour some Guy Grossi tongue or something, you know, posh like that for dinner, (laughs) any final business, Nicole? Yeah, we got an email from a listener pointing to a video made by Finance Times that looks at the business of women's football. It's about England, the ramble in England. It looked at a community club that ended up being taken over by the community when they were facing bankruptcy and made this conscientious approach to have equity across both the men's and women's uh, teams and to have real equity right across the board. So revenue and pay parity, all of those things. And then it also looked at Arsenal, which has been sort of the leader in that elite competition uh, in terms of women's football. And basically they were just making a case for what the business side of it, what the potential is for a club if they do embrace equity and actively support the women's game. Look, they raised uh, all the challenges and it's a really good video. So I will put it in the show notes but I think the thing that stood out to me was one of the quotes from one of the uh the women interviewed said you can't say you value something and then give it away for free and I think that's something we need to think about with AFLW as well oh absolutely and speaking of money I spoke a few weeks back on the pod about financial barriers of being a footy fan so credit where it's due there's good news for fans um with the AFL announcing a price freeze will be in effect again with general admission tickets to the MCG and Marvel um, are going to stay the same. And also they're going to introduce a $50 family ticket. I don't know about anyone else out there. So family has always been two kids, two adults, but I was a child. I was the third child. I I always felt like I was meaning my family couldn't go to Queensland and get one of those family tickets. But regardless, that's what a family is considered at the moment. So that's going to be introduced, which is excellent. And another good initiative is that the AFL is going to write to, I think, more than 1,200 community clubs around the state and offer four tickets to volunteers, including tickets to the final round of AFLW. And so hopefully there's a similar initiative around the country um, for fans in other states because it's really great to see the league acknowledging financial stress that people are facing at the moment. And so I don't know about the cost of the new posh footy food but anyway one win at a time hey it's time for us to get out of here but before we do if you're listening and you're fond of us and you've never rated or reviewed us maybe now's the time it would be wonderful to hear from you and to tell a friend about the sanctum and what we do and we love hearing from you so drop a respectful and kind and non-trolling comment (laughs) on our social media platforms and we'll be back on friday with another special edition of the fifth quarter but there's only one thing left to say go go footy. footy